Hi, everyone. Sean Paul Ellis here from the Saturday Morning Cartoons Podcast. Remember, that's morning with you. Some very quick pre-show announcements. I joke about this every time. I'm going to try to keep these as quick as possible. A shout-out, also what's happening today. Our shout-out, again, comes from somebody that I think that you heard from last week. This is Lauren Jeffrey. She commented on YouTube on episode 174, Grizzly Tales for Gruesome Kids. She had mentioned how this show had really scared her as a kid. She also said that she recommends that since it's my favorite horror franchise, that we should check out Crypt Keeper. It's a Saturday morning cartoon based on the nighttime 18-plus horror show, Tales from the Crypt, and I hope that you do a review on it for Halloween this year. Guess what? Surprise, surprise, Lauren. We've already done one. So you can go and you can check that out now. Please give it a listen. I hope that you enjoy it. A lot of you have been recommending cartoons over social media or in YouTube comments. I don't know why I said YouTube with that emphasis. I apologize. Uh, If you want to recommend a cartoon, go on our social media. We have forms. There's a phone number that you can call in. You guys already know the number. Or maybe you don't, since you shouldn't be writing it down. There's no reason to write any of this down. You can go on all of our social media. It'll point you in the right direction to be able to submit your suggestion. This just makes sure that you get the proper shout-out. That's all I want to do. I want to make sure that you get credit where credit is due. So today, what's happening? Well, we're going on a field trip. Yep, grab your permission slips and your imagination, because we are going to jump aboard the magic school bus with returning guest Melanie Harker and new guest Ellis Abrams. We're going to talk about some iconic episodes, so get ready to take chances, make mistakes, get messy with the frizz, all of this and more. So now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the podcast that revisits, reviews, and ridicules some of the world's weirdest animated series. Coming to you from inside a school bus that defies all logic and physics, I'll be your host, Sean Paul Ellis. Returning to the show with an attitude that reads, well, in my school, please welcome back Melanie Harker. Hi! (laughs) And you can hear her giggling in the background. Joining us- Quality breath control. Joining us for the first time, she has a permission slip signed, and she is ready for wherever broadcast day takes her. Please welcome to the show, Ellis Abrams. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Hey. Thank you for joining us, Ellis. I don't have breath control. (laughs) (laughs) Beep, beep. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, So if you are not familiar with that intro about what cartoon we are talking about today, it's... (laughs) Or the constant beep beep that Melanie is providing to us as well. Get ready for more. Oh boy. Really? Yeehaws. Yes. Uh, there's a lot there's a lot going on here. But if you're not familiar, we are of course talking about the magic school bus. And so tonight, just to kind of get uh, a baseline for everybody in terms of how we're coming in and how we're approaching the magic school bus, I have to ask the question, Ellis. Why did you want to come on the show and talk about this particular cartoon? Where did this where did this live for you in the world of nostalgia in your childhood? The Magic School Bus just constantly holds this feeling of like when I think cartoons, this is one of my go-tos. Like okay. in my mind, this is we I did not grow up with cable, so like PBS was my everyday channel because it was that or golf and like <laughs> 
very slim pickings. It really was. <laughs> it was a dark time, dark time. Um, and so I just remember this show being like very, very fondly. Understood. I, I, I think that this show definitely holds a place near and dear to many people's hearts. And so that's great. So we are, again, going to kind of explore a little bit more tonight. So looking forward to that. Melly, where did the magic school bus fall for you? I was a huge science nerd as a child. And surprisingly enough, I loved space. I loved rocks. I was very into geology. I'd like go out in the back and like rifle around. I had like a book. I'd like compare these rocks that I found with like the rocks in my geology book. Um, so the magic school bus was like the magic of how I wished my science classes were because I had really fucking lame science teachers and mm. I really wanted the frizz to be mine so badly. And I had a lot of those experiences because like my my parents growing up in New Jersey would take me to like Liberty Science Center. I don't know, Ellis, if you had ever, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah the touch yeah. tunnel, please. Oh my God. Master yeah. of the touch tunnel. And I'm so, sorry, the touch tunnel? Yes. Oh yeah. We can get into that. That's a different episode. Sounds like, that sounds like a SMC HR situation <laughs> that we're about to enter into. Pretty much. We, we really went after dark almost immediately on the show. And then there's the space docking tunnel, which Jesus is Christ. NC-17. Can't, can't go into that one. Uh, and, and the Hayden Planetarium <laughs> and the you know, the Natural History Museum. There's a lot of really lovely um, like places where, as a child, you can like learn about science and the wider world. And the Magic School Bus was just the cartoon that really like furthered and fueled that passion for me as a child. I will say for me, Magic School Bus was something that I was always aware of. I knew that it existed. Uh, I, I was familiar with at least the frizz uh, with Miss Frizzle. The frizz. I, I, I was familiar with the concepts and the ideas of it, but I'll say this. I don't really ever remember watching this cartoon. Really? I don't really ever remember watching the magic school bus. I don't remember a kind of particular episode. It's funny in preparation for this episode, when we watched the two episodes, uh, some of them all of a sudden brought back memories where I was like, did I watch this? Did I not watch this? Or is this something that because this show is just so ingrained in our zeitgeist mm. that I just immediately began to think, Oh yeah, I have some, some context or has this been something where I've been doing a cartoon podcast for five years and I've just been exposed to this enough. And so is there just a part of me that is just picking this up from maybe listicles about cartoons, you know, uh, reading about more cartoons? Is this something that I actually really watched? And I actually think the answer is no. I don't really remember watching this. To I mean, 94, I was eight. So I was exactly the age group that this was made for. You like were the eight demographic. to 12, I was the demographic. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't not not see it. Like it was it was perfectly targeted towards me and I ate it up. Yeah. It, it's crazy too because I, so in 94, I would have been 14 and I was still watching an unbelievable amount of cartoons during that time. So for a show like this to have been on the air and me not really have paid attention to it, sort of to me, knowing myself back then kind of feels like a little bit of a fluke. Like I watched a lot of, uh, PBS after school, like Ghost Rider and Wishbone and a lot of those oh, shows. I know. And so I had watched a lot of shows that were on and a lot of educational entertainment television that was on during that time. But I honestly don't remember ever really watching an episode of the Magic School Bus. 
I feel like for a 14-year-old, you would have regarded Magic School Bus as being too much of a baby show. Really? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like... I mean, also, this was, like, Netflix style before Netflix. Like, there's only 10, 13 episodes a season. Right. So it's not like they were doing 23, 25 episodes that were just constantly on rotation. Right. So unless they were, like, if you had another show to fill that time block there was shows with far more content that they could get a longer stretch of time out of than the magic school bus. Right. And this is definitely during the prime time when, you know, shows that I would have watched in the mid nineties that I, I identified with, I loved things that I would still watch today were definitely on. And so I, I think that maybe the competition was probably pretty stiff mm-hmm. at that time for, for the age that I, I was at as well. So interesting. This may be my first foray into the Magic School Bus. I'm not 100% sure uh, because, you know, let's be honest, uh, mind and memory are, ten- or, you know, subjective and tentative and uh, you can lose it pretty quickly. And so I just don't simply remember. But I, I remember some of these particular characters and, and so it was kind of interesting to, to check it out. For anybody who is wondering the history of the Magic School Bus, the Magic School Bus is a Canadian-American Saturday morning animated children's television series based on the book series by the same name by Joanna Cole and Bruce Deegan. I have to almost pause for a second and note that this is a Canadian-American cartoon. I just made a big head gesture that I, tr- I chose you did not a to double, say anything. You did a double take. I did a double take because I had no idea, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. I will say that if you are an avid listener of this show, we have talked about Canadian cartoons in the past. In fact, we've even dedicated an entire month to exploring Canadian cartoons. I do don't super love them. Sometimes they're they're really hit or miss for me. But this is not on par with the raccoons. <laughs> with the with the raccoons. The raccoons. Or the, the raccoons. So I think we're okay. Right. Or okay. Uh, was it tripping the riff? Tripping the riff. Wow. What a what a. Cartoon. I, I would be interested. We can get to this later. But what you think is the Canadianness that comes through on this show? You know, I'll say this. Surprise- Optimism. <laughs> Just pure a joy of education and love, fellow man, is all I hear. I don't know how I'm going to follow that up. That was there perfect. It is. Yeah, that was Nailed it. it. That was it. I, I will say it's very, it's very funny because I will watch cartoons now, and I can tell certain voice actors and actresses uh, have, a, a, you know, maybe they're Canadian, um, and maybe this show is being uh, created and recorded in Canada. Probably the funniest thing that we find out right now is. Uh, when we've been watching uh, a cartoon on Cartoon Network called OKKO. And anytime anybody in this cartoon apologizes, it's it's always, I'm sorry. And it just makes me laugh every time. It's just, there's something so sweet and innocent. And again, very like optimistic Mm -hmm. about everything. It's just, it's delightful. Yeah. So OKKO gets a pass. Everybody else, be on the lookout. Uh, Magic School Bus gets a pass. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it tonight. Yeah, dig into the history more. So, the series has received critical acclaim for its use of celebrity talent in combining entertainment with an educational series. Broadcasting and cable said that the show was among the highest rated PBS shows for school-aged children. On the PBS version, the show was funded by the National Science Foundation, Microsoft Home, the U.S. Department of Energy, the Carnegie Corporation of New York and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the annual financial support from the viewers from the viewers and station of PBS. 
I thought you were going to say the viewers like you. Oh, that would have been a missed opportunity. Yeah, really. The show was closed captioned by the National Captioning Institute uh, when it aired on PBS. It, the show itself premiered September 10th, 1994. It went on for four seasons, 52 episodes. So each season, as Ellis has said, consisting of 13 episodes. It was the first fully animated program to premiere on PBS. Oh. Right. The show's continuity is not necessarily dependent on the order in which the episodes aired. In the first episode, which is one we're going to talk about tonight, Gets Lost in Space, Arnold mentions that the class has already been inside the Rotten Log, which actually happened in an episode called Meet the Rot Squad. And by Arnold, he means Wanda. Oh, was it really? Perfect. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Time to update Wikipedia. Fact checked. A revival series that is titled The Magic School Bus Rides Again was released on Netflix on September 29th of 2017. So if this show resonated with you at any point in time and you were like, I loved the original and I wish that I could binge more of it on Netflix since this is already kind of in a bingeable 13 episode season, guess what? Netflix has got your back for this. So get ready. But to give us a little bit more of an understanding of the synopsis of the show, as well as also to kind of give us a very quick breakdown of the episodes that we're going to talk about tonight, Ellis, help us out, please. Absolutely. We watched two episodes to prepare for tonight's podcast. The first one was The Magic School Bus Gets Lost in Space. Ooh. It is labeled on Netflix, season one, episode one, although I have quibbles with that. Thanks to Arnold's annoying cousin, Janet, Miss Frizzle's class almost gets lost in space while exploring our solar system. And the second one, uh, kind of one of the more iconic ones, is the magic school bus inside Ralphie. When Ralphie is too sick to make it to school for broadcast day, the class comes to Ralphie, getting up close and personal. Miss Frizzle and her magic bus take the class into Ralphie's bloodstream for an exciting adventure about germs, blood cells, and how the body protects itself. Yes. Very, very iconic episode. I feel like both of these are definitely ones that I may or may not have watched, but definitely was aware of them, understood them. I'm beginning to kind of just feel like my memory is betraying me. Maybe I did watch these back in 1994. Maybe I loved them back in 1994. I don't think you fucking did. Okay, well, (laughs) difference of opinion. Yep. Fair. We are going to get into the discussion about these episodes and... We obviously can't start the discussion about these episodes without first talking about this theme song. And so, Ellis, what were your thoughts, your feelings about this particular theme song for the Magic School Bus? Well, first and foremost, it's sung by Little Richard. Oh, my God. Like, way to throw randomly awesome big star wattage at a children's theme song. Right. Uh, So it's Little Richard, and he is jamming on the piano, and it is mid-90s perfection. Uh, There are yas, there are yeehaws, there is spank-a-plankton, so it gets a little saucy. Uh, It's not the smartest. It's not a super clever theme song, but spoiler alert, neither apparently is the show. <laughs> oh boy. So actually in uh, the rewatch, I, I found that the, sh- the theme song kind of perfectly encapsulated the tone of the show, the um, themes of the show and kind of the emphasis of the show. So all of the 
visuals are of the class as a whole. So it's not an introduction of each character one by one, but all of the adventures that they're going on as a class all together. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the excitement that exploring the world, large and small, out there and right here in your backyard, scientific learning adventure. Right. Melanie, what were your thoughts? So my memory betrayed me here because I really thought that the Magic School Bus theme song was more upbeat. In really? my oh, head, interesting. when I recall the Magic School Bus theme song, I heard the musical interlude that they play in the actual episodes where it's like, beep, 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 beep. Like all of that sort of sound that they do. I was like, oh, that's the same tone and pace. Like, hop on the Magic School Bus. Like, that's exactly what my brain tells me is the Magic School Bus theme song. So when I heard this, I was like, what the fucking shit is going on? And why does it sound like Yaz? And why does it sound like like jazz with a Y? That's what Yaz is. Yaz. Um and which is synthetic jazz. Is it, I just I've coined it. To okay. Well, okay. Right here, right now. Right here, right now. We, we, we have mentioned this. We do not have the rights to be able to have that music. <laughs> I'm going to keep on going. Please don't do it's that. It's less than 30 seconds. It's, it's actually, it's 10 seconds, oh but we still don't need any cease and desist. Anyway, no Any one's, more than what we've no already gotten. No one's but coming for us. it's 10 seconds of the original recording, right? If one of us decides to like sing it ourselves. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a lawyer. Okay. If you are a lawyer, we do need clarification on this. So as my agent, I need you to fight for me on this. Sean Ellis. <laughs> I'm now an agent? Yeah, you're my agent. So get, oh, okay. get wow. I don't know if an agent who doesn't really know entertainment law is a great idea. Yeah, you chose poorly. Really? That all being said, I still like the theme song. It's just not what I was expecting. And then first I was very disappointed and bummed. So you expected something with a little bit of a higher tempo. Yeah, to like really, because it's, you know, the show is frenetic and all over the place. And this was very chill, which I feel like is maybe the mode that the frizz runs at, but is not the mode of the show. How about you, Sean? What are your thoughts, feelings, impulses? Agree? Disagree? It's challenging. So this is a this is really it feels like a hybrid uh, in terms of the animation that was used because some of this seems like it's dedicated animation that was specifically for the theme song itself. And some of it is obviously recycled tidbits that they're using from the first season's episodes that they're using. So I think it's sometimes challenging because you know you you kind of want you want to make a first impression. And I don't think that this impression is bad for a hybrid. They're kind of showing you, we've got a lot of journeys, we have a lot of things that we're gonna do, a lot of different places. The theme song is kind of alluding and poking fun at those. I did, of course, love the line that Ellis has mentioned is the spank of plankton. Uh, that was very, like, it just kind of comes out of left field it's and surprises just, you. And of the whole, like, under the, under, um, under the sea, bottom of the ocean episode, like, that's the, three seconds that they chose to right. highlight was just yeah that's someone's sick fucking fantasy for a show Spank that makes <laughs> no reference has no adult humor has no other level and we can get to that but like this is a one level made for one audience show right to decide to throw that little tidbit in was just felt incongruous with the rest of right Ugh. 
I will say the one thing that was challenging is that there are so many characters and we're, we're sort of introduced to one character very early on saying, you know, that he, he hopes that his, his hope and his dream is that this is just going to be like a regular field trip. And then there's a chorus of children that are like with the frizz, no No way." way, which I think is kind of a fun way to sort of activate everything that's going on. The challenge is that you have such a high number of children who are on the school bus. There's no roll call, whether it's a visual or, you know, just kind of like a quick title card to give you the names. That's something that, you know, they kind of expect you to pick that up as a result of just sort of watching the the show itself. Um, and in some cases, I kind of wish that they had focused on the, the kids a little bit more in the theme song because they're such an important part. Like they're the reason that Miss Frizz exists to sort of help them understand more about science. You could say it's a symbiotic relationship that like Miss Frizz exists to to educate them and they serve as kids to sort of, you know, be a, a utility or a function so that she has a place to to go and explore. And so there's a lot to be said, but like at the same time I feel like the kids are just as important as Miss Frizz. I think the kids are more important than Miss Frizz. Whoa. I would agree, but it's the class. Yeah, it's the mechanism of the class. I mean, one of the things of watching it is how much the kids are actually teaching themselves. Right. And how Miss Frizzle seems to just be this very fancy tour guide. But he was like, I'm dropping you in this situation. Figure it out. And like, (laughs) um, and one of the... um, and so it's one of the characters who's the bookworm, who's like, according, you know, who does the book learning and one of them who's the ob- observationist. According to my research, which is how she fucking says it every, every time, time. Yeah. not British. Maybe she is. Keep going, Alice. I'm sorry. No, I don't think she is. No. She just has. Uh, She's just done a lot of elocution research. lessons. Research. A-, a lot of elocution lessons. Is that what you're going to say about that? Elocution. I mean, one of the things that struck me is that you have to watch the whole season. Like in the character building, each kid is very distinct and has a personality. And actually the way that they break out into couples, the way two characters relate to each other, have their own personalities and interactions. You just have to freaking watch all 54 episodes to finally get there right because they're just these little snippets in each episode that you have to just accumulate and stack on top of each other before you get any sense of who these kids are and it's funny because even in an episode tonight just sort of the the dependency that they have on one child in particular in the class seemed to be the entire catalyst for the the whole episode it seemed to permeate everything that was going on it was a source of stress and to him it almost seemed like it was a source of pride you know, that he was that uh, necessary to the rest of the class. But then when you look at it at that idea of just it's the whole class, like missing one kid would have caused this re- almost, I feel like regardless of the kid who was missing. So it, it's it's interesting. I, I, I Just to, to finish the thought in terms of the, the theme song, I thought the music was fine. Uh, I, I did enjoy it. I mean, obviously, who doesn't love star power thrown into a theme song like this? It was hard because I kind of agree with Mel that like the, the I felt the tempo was a little bit slower for just kind of how crazy and energetic this cartoon was itself. And I, I don't know if the the pacing had been increased, if it would have been something that would have matched really kind of like the the really kinetic, frantic energy 
of sort of where this show goes. And I, I don't know if I would have, you know, I don't know that I would change it. But again, like I, there's a part of me that would be open to the idea, you know, if in the second season, since we watched all episodes from the first season, maybe the second season changes it up a little bit. Maybe they add something different. No, they're all the same. Do they cut in additional, it's all just stuff from the first season? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It does not change. That's a bummer. I could only afford Little Richard. That's once. a real like, literally <laughs> like once. I know it was a bummer because I actually I checked that out to see Ugh. if they changed the theme song so that the snippets, the adventures that they reference in the song, foreshadow the episodes of that season, and they don't. Ugh. Well, it's funny because they the got reason... them on discount, so that's why they had to. They only got them once. <laughs> Bargain basement, Little Richard. The one oh. time. Wow. Five and below Little Richard. Yep. Filene's basement Little Richard. I, mean, oh, I will fight back a little bit and just say that I think that the target audience is young for this show. Right. And so I do question um, that the threshold and entry point to throw out some Melanie words uh, is it's catchy. It's low tempoed enough that you can sing along to it. Uh, if you don't know the show, it's okay. They mention this is the magic school bus six times yeah. <laughs> in a minute. So no matter what, you know exactly where you are. Um, then the language that they use is very inviting. It's you and our, so the audience is already a part of the show, isn't a part of the class. It's jump on the magic school bus, join us. We're on this trip and adventure together. Right. Um, so as far as the education aspect, maybe not the entertainment aspect, but the education aspect is very much, we're in this together. We're not smarter than you. This isn't going faster than you. This is exactly at your pace, mm -hmm. and you're a part of this with us. Huh. Yeah, I actually think that that's a really great way of looking at it. That kind of helps. That kind of helps me better understand this all. So thank you. I, sure. I appreciate that. Oh, there's plenty I don't like. <laughs> Foreshadow. <laughs> any any final thoughts about the theme song? Take that. <laughs> About the magic school bus. That's it. That's all I got. Perfect. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about animation style. And, you know, were there other contemporaries that were on around this time? Did this make you think of anything? Was there another cartoon that this uh, could draw a parallel to? How did you feel about the animation style, Ellis? Uh, so I don't have much experience to compare it to other cartoons of that time. I did think the animation style very much reflected the style of the books so that they were not trying to add a new interpretation right. to these characters in this world. They were just trying to animate the books that these kids have already seen and have become, and that the audience is already familiar with. Um, in general, I found the animation very simple, very straightforward. Every time that they could simplify they simplified. This was not a time to confuse. It's very visual. It's if they can line all the planets in a row, all the planets are going to be in a row. These are not things in a three-dimensional world. These are not things that move in time and space. They all exist exactly in a way that you can immediately see it and grasp the concept and go, I'm there with you. Right. Um, which was a little, I feel like they could respect their audience a little bit more and that the audience in general can be more savvy to what they were feeding. But it's, again, it almost feeds into a nostalgia that they hadn't yet earned, but they knew they were going to get. 
Hmm. Kind of like a Babe Ruth of a cartoon, just sort of shot calling That's exactly from it. the plate. Like, we're going to knock it out of the park for these kids. Don't worry about it. You're going to remember us fondly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Bold move. Let's see how it pays off. Mel, what were your feelings? It is very interesting, Elle, that you say that you found it really simple because, and maybe I'm going to float a little bit into design. Is that okay? Of course, please. Mr. MC. Float so, away. Flo- flo- float along as magic, as magic mouse. <laughs> nope. Never mind. <laughs> Cut. Cut. Got to remind you. We, Leave it on we the floor. Don't, we don't. Cut ha- it out. Oh, Cut Dave it out. Cut it out. Get that shit out of here. So I... I did not find the animation as simple as much as I found the detailing of the way they would like compose the sort of frames as uh, th- it was very intentional, right? So the first the first introduction that you kind of have to that style is the way that they chose to represent the Frizz's dress at every turn. The Frizz mm. had always had a fantastic dress on, right. of which I think there's like one that's like the purple with the collar that like, chicks wear for Halloween or whatever when they want to like dress up like Miss Frizzle. But the, what I forgot and remembered re-watching the show is that the Frizz's dresses like interact with the other elements on the dress. There's always mm-hmm. a crazy pattern. They interact with the world. The world that you visit is not just like, oh, we're in a bloodstream. Here's a bunch of red blood cells. There's an environment that they are like keeping fairly true to what they're exploring as much as possible. And I feel like that kind of detail, A, needs to be specific because they're trying to be like scientifically accurate in some manner of speaking, right? And we can get into that later. But I think that the effort to portray it as real as possible, not to like dumb or water it down overly, like not to like really wash it out is an interesting choice. And Like, because they could have just had, we've seen, you know, Sean, we've watched cartoons where they've just like rewatched, they've, you know, carbon copied the same frames for the same characters over and over again. And here I feel like they took a little bit of time to like give a little bit of effort and detail um, and, and composition to the shots that they were taking. The fact that they chose to animate the bus, the bus's eyes, the eyebrows, the mouth or what was kind of perceived as like the mouth or the grill of the of the bus, all these different things. Like, I think it was the thing that I came away thinking was like, wow, this was way more detailed. Like, there's a lot more to look at than I originally remember. And maybe this is because like, I'm thinking of like original He-Man, where it was just like, let me just drag this figure across the screen and call it like an animated five seconds versus this, which had like, the puffs of smoke and the twirling and the spinning and the there was like a lot of stuff I feel like happening. I don't know. But maybe that's just because like I'm comparing this to our overly critical view of like some of those like um, not Rankin Bass, but what's the other um, what's like the, the the like what the fuck? Oh, Hanna-Barbera and like all those other guys, like what they were kind of doing. Ruby Spears. Ruby Spears, like all those guys. Right. So I think I'm I'm thinking about it in that way. No, no, I understand. I, I actually, you've you've turned me around because if you think about each episode, there's a lot of scenery. Yeah. I mean, they are moving from place to place to place. There's, as far as landscapes go, they're constantly world building. And, yes. And it is a new place every 10 seconds yeah so they can't so as far as like getting all of the detail of 
this is the structures and these are the veins in a f- in the fly's wing or whatever it is or these are how the you know an asteroid isn't just this bulbous rock it's the fact that we're seeing an asteroid belt which is just one of yet a hundred different landscapes that we're working through mm-hmm. it does you've turned me around as far as there's only so much time yeah. and they actually did extraordinary a lot of extraordinary work within any given episode because we've seen some lazy fucks out there and they could <laughs> they could just be lame and I feel like the people behind Magic School Bus put a little bit of effort into it. No, absolutely. And every time we went back to the classroom, which could easily have been a carbon copy of the last time, it felt like the camera direction was slightly different. Mm -hmm. Right. Or the perspective was a a little um, unusual just to constantly give a different visual access point. They definitely played with some weird framing for shots. I loved it. In terms of how the action happens. I, I enjoyed it as well. There were definitely a couple moments where I know, at least in the, the the space episode, where one of the kids is running towards the camera and it's just, it's zoomed in on his crotch yep. <laughs> and like his crotch runs into the camera and then it flips and you kind of see his butt shot just like run away from the camera. It was, I'll say this, it was an interesting try. As an adult watching a children's show now, there was an immediate reaction that I had, which was, oh no, please don't, no, 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 please, please pan up. Please, no, they're not pan. Yep, we're getting full on crotch shot right now. Got Animated it. crotch shot. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I will say this about the animation. Uh, it kind of is a, a combination of a lot of the different points that we've already discussed, but I will say that it does hold very true to the actual book and, and the the art that they, they had in the actual books. The thing that was very interesting is that, you know, the very, I want to say, thin to medium lines that they had kind of outlining a majority of the characters. Uh, very solid, bright colors, um, you know, which is intended to be engaging, intended to kind of, you know, add that that brightness or that kind of pop to everything that they have that was in there. So design-wise, I thought that, that was very smart. Uh, I will say the thing that I love that they were able to do in the show itself that they couldn't really probably do in the book is, again, show how Miss Frizz how her dress is actually interacting with certain things where as kids are looking at her outfit and it begins to change and it begins to move. And and those things were really kind of delightful to see because you never really needed to kind of pause or focus on it. It just happened. In like their reality of these kids in this classroom, this was just something that was a constant. They could rely on something weird like this to happen. I can only imagine in a book if they were to show something like that, there was probably two pages dedicated to it. A lot of narration about the the dress all of a sudden having a, a spoon with something that looked like Dimatap pouring into it. You While know, she's for talking particular, on the phone, right? Right. You yeah. know, so I mean, in in that instance, I think it was very smart that they allowed this environment, as we've talked about, to be very organic and just how it was moving. And so that was very satisfying to see. And it is true. I mean, there was a ton of locations in each one of these episodes and it just did not stop like it kept going and they do a great job of playing with scale size proportion throughout the entire two episodes that we watched tonight so i think just in terms of design and animation for all of this i think they really did a stellar job i think that that was probably one of the things that i really enjoyed the most out of watching the magic school bus 
Any any final any final thoughts that we to have add about? To that, I don't think there was a single second of stillness. Mm-hmm. So yeah. even if the characters are just standing there talking or debating, the lizard Liz is just running around the screen, yeah. or the magic, or the bus itself is having a psychological breakdown in the corner, <laughs> like and just ruminating on its sad existence. Um, so it, at any given point, either the magic has infused the scenery or the characters themselves are taking up space. Right. Um, and But it's just a constant storytelling, whether or not it's actively part of story A or background character building story. Right. No, absolutely. We have actually begun to kind of now talk about a lot of characters. We've got the Magic School Bus. We've got uh, Liz, the Lizard. We've talked about the Frizz. We have a wide variety that we've kind of summed up into just the idea of the classroom. Uh, which sounds very, very interesting and very cultish. Um, <laughs> it does. You've got a, a... What kind of education cult are you following? I went to school in Waco, Texas. I don't believe it. <laughs> I know. That's because that's inaccurate. Yep. <laughs> so that's I, a I, lie. It's very much a lie. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to talk about, because we have a lot of these different characters, you know, were there any particular characters that you, you loved? Were there any particular characters that you took issue with? Was there anyone that you wish you knew more about? Ellis. Can I pass to Melanie and yeah. ask her to go first? Absolutely. Melanie, mm-hmm. what are some particular characters that really that you really kind of loved, that you really enjoyed watching? I mean, it's it's kind of hard. Like <laughs> Ellis just pulls up this like four square <laughs> of like all all of the little of all the the kids and uh they're li- so the the fun thing about the class is that each of the class has some kind of catchphrase and the moment that the one character goes what are we gonna do what are we gonna do what are we gonna do um i would immediately flash back to when i did annie the musical annie reference point um (laughs) because there is an orphan who has the same fucking catchphrase and i remember the little girl who played that orphan and i remember her doing that and thinking to myself i could it's so much better than her. Now oh, you're so Molly. Uh, but here's the fucking problem: is that I was Annie in that production. Well, that's because you can sing. Because I'm a goddamn you're bitch. Clearly a Molly. Uh, that's true. I am clearly a Molly. Thank you. Thank you for recognizing me for who I truly am. This is why. This is why I love you. So uh, I was Pepper. Oh yes, you were totally Pepper. Okay, yeah. we're not talking about Annie. We're talking about Magic School Bus. And I. So I think, in terms of characters. You know, when we, when I remembered the kids and they had their different, um, their different catchphrases, I was like, yep, all of this makes total sense. Arnold, everything about Arnold, I remember him making a lot of sense. You know, I wish I never came to school today. <laughs> I wish I never woke up this morning. Like, <laughs> it, was a, it was a very, he was a very Eeyore character. Oh my God. Let's talk time. about how in my research for this episode, Wikipedia talks about how Arnold is Jewish. And that is a piece of information I really didn't think I needed. No, that's not relevant. Who gives a fuck? But yes, Arnold is the nebbishy Jewish kid who doesn't want to get in trouble and, and is yeah. too scared to go outside. Oh. And it made me really angry. However, on a side note, it's a super diverse cast. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. let's celebrate at least it, an effortless diversity yeah. in a way that did not feel put upon in no. a right. like we need to be inclusive and check all the boxes and check all the boxes yeah. so yeah i mean in terms of like 
what characters did I like? Did I dislike? Do I really remember? They they all kind of like ring sort of in a one note for me. I don't think there was any one over the other. Um, I was pleasantly like giggled at the according to my research <laughs> character. I thought that was fucking ridiculous. I also remembered um, apropos of nothing that so Ralphie. We don't see him in in the episodes, not totally in the episodes that we watch, but in most of the other episodes, he's wearing like this red baseball cap that's turned backwards and uh, a shirt with a big letter R on it. And again, growing up from New Jersey, so sorry, everybody. uh, I remember thinking like, oh, I guess like he has an older brother that goes to Rutgers. Because it's the same, (laughs) it's the same letter R. All the all of the cars in New Jersey it clearly have the it R could on be, it. I mean, Ralphie is supposed to be this Italian American, probably from Newark. He's I probably could from ab- Newark. Absolutely see it. Yep. No, he's definitely from Edison, New Jersey. Has family in Newark. <laughs> you know. Has, I, like, I like that you've completely rewritten Ralphie's history. Yeah, I think I think I could have gone to school with a Ralphie. You probably did. I probably did. Yeah. In fact, I know his name, and he was a Devils fan. In middle school, I know, I know Ralphie. I know Ralphie. I feel we know all of these kids. Yeah, I think you're right. That's- I feel, I feel that that's definitely one of the strengths of this show is just the the diversity in the cast and that the relatability of a lot of these kids. the The catchphrases really kind of help to identify and make them unique. We all know a Dorothy Ann who is well, according to my research, you know, you're just like, I, I get it, like you. You read a book last night. Congrats. You you finally got AOL and so you're surfing the internet. That's great, Dorothy Ann. I, I really, I really do appreciate it. But I, I, I just I, I found the I found them funny and I found it was nice because in many cases I didn't get the character's name or I couldn't remember the character's name, but you would see these moments where they would tee themselves up for the delivery of a catchphrase. They're like, oh, what's this weird rock? And they're like, well, according to my research, and you're like, oh, you fucking pimped her out to do that, uh, yep, you yep. son of a gun. A well Set su- her up. A Just- well-supported improv troupe. Yeah, exactly. That's what this classroom I mean, is. But part of that is how the whole show as a construct is made. It's this already set up microcosm that you are becoming familiar with. And the right. more you live in this world, even though we watch two episodes, the more you watch this show, Wanda is clearly Wanda and reacts in every situation the way Wanda would. Keisha reacts in the same way uh, Keisha would. Like They are very specific characters with very specific character traits. Um, so like Wanda's this big bully. And really? Yeah. Huh. So she's always the one who's like, we gotta go, we gotta do something. Like we can't just sit here. And like bullies Arnold into being less of a coward. And Keisha is this skeptic who's like, I don't, I don't believe it. She's a little sarcastic. She's a little sa- like sassy. And so she reacts really well with Ralphie, who's this joker and idealist mm-hmm. and like believes in like strange con- conspiracy theories. And she's like, there are no aliens. Like, Ralphie, you, you need to shut up. And he's like, but aliens. And so the two of them have this mm. straight man. Con- like comedic back and forth. So the more you decide to embed yourself into this world, the more these characters become very specific. Mm -hmm. And then you get to watch Miss Frizzle react to each of them. Like Carlos, Carlos does bad puns. That is his shtick. He makes bad jokes. I like him already. Right? 
And the whole class then goes, Carlos, except for Miss <laughs> Frizzle, who always turns to him and goes, that was really great, Carlos. That was a great joke. Or you really saw something nobody else did and really supports <laughs> him as like this class clown, but then highlights and strengthens his perspective. That's that's fun. I, I can appreciate that. I will definitely say in terms of memorable jokes that we had on this episode, I think Ralphie, when his mom is feeding him medicine and she's like, well, just make sure that you shake before you take it. And he, oh, yeah. he does kind of, like, he does a little shimmy, Goonies, sh- like, like truffle shuffle, truffle shuffle. Uh, yeah. you know, like a little shimmy shake for his mom. And she goes, ha ha ha, even your jokes are sick today. <laughs> <laughs> and then like spoons him that dino tap and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, sick burn mom. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it was good. That's why she's a doctor. That's why lady doctor. Yeah, mm-hmm. lady doctor. She's actually just a PhD of comedy. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I, I do I do like the fact that you know we we had a lot of interaction between these kids. They seem to be unique. They seem to have their own style, personality. So to that, one of the issues I had with what Netflix calls the first episode, or I guess what they called the first episode, is this the uh, Lost in Space. Right. Is it the is the introduction of this character Janet Arnold's cousin, right. who is not part of the actual class, but is a quote visitor, although she kind of imposes herself mm-hmm. and so there's nothing there's no visitor about there's janet. no visitor about janet she's she, fully there she on forced her, own her will yeah into that classroom so it sets up as an introductory episode this weird contrast of us and her right which yeah. means there's no individual delineation in any of the students because it's just janet and everybody else hmm. so the so as far as setting up who these kids are and what roles they play for that first episode, it just feels very disjointed because it's all focused on Janet and getting Janet to turn into a more self-actualized person, except that Janet's not part of the crew. Right. So it feels like all of this wasted energy Mm. to make it very hard for a new viewer to get invested. Right. Especially since using the trope of the new guy as the audience's entry point because they align themselves with the new person because they know what nothing just like the new person knows nothing. Right. But they've made the new person an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) So now I'm supposed to relate to this person that everybody hates, but I don't know as I know nothing. She knows nothing, although she thinks she knows everything. everything. (laughs) And... I just as a con as a the structure of an episode, it felt very disjointed mm-hmm. and very unwelcoming in a way that I thought undercut all of the philosophies of the show mm-hmm. as a you are part of this with us. It's definitely, you know, with with PBS sort of airing a lot of these out of order and then, you know, th- I mean this was the original episode that did air and broadcast first. V- you know, very, very bold move on their end to to kind of put something like this out that sort of goes against the grain of, of sort of the thought, the idea, I think some of the intention of the show, you know, to really kind of single out this kid, Janet, who first and foremost, if you're ever visiting a cousin, nowhere in, in any planet is a kid of that age going to be like, oh, can I come to your school with you? Fuck no. I'm on vacation. What the fuck am I going to do there? I don't want to. I think she's actually another in a, just another class down the hall. 
Like, I don't even think she's visiting from out of town. I just think she decided not to go to her classroom today and go and bother Arnold. Like, I don't. Yeah. It's bullshit. And it's really interesting. And also, because- they're clearly siblings and not cousins. Yeah. They're exactly the same. Yeah. And there's some family secrets happening there that's going to lead to, like, some big revelations down the road. But their daddy is not really their daddy. And- oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a... Uh- it was very interesting to kind of see this, the the design of, of this Janet character kind of coming in as this one-off with relation to to Arnold. And I really feel and felt for Arnold after that episode because there there's so much just in terms of his self-confidence, his neuroses, uh, his, his optimism in particular instances and situations that they run into in space where he's like, I don't, I don't really want to do this. I don't, I, I don't. I don't think we should be here anymore. And and Janet just continues to throw other things in his face, even when they are in outer space. And she has obviously never been to outer space with her class before. And and the first thing that she begins to do is think, you know, how am I going to prove this to other people? I mean, it's such a status, you know, play on her part to really just continue to to rub it in his face to the point where he has to transport her off of the planet in order for her to shut up and then the moment they get off world she's like well now i have to collect crap because nobody's gonna believe me out there which it does lead to a very i think nice realization at the end in terms of possible lessons but then there's moments where like they just do like freeze frames on janet and she has like her hand kind of like tilted up like she's holding like a serving tray and she's just making like a snide side eye to people like whatever i don't care and it just it's this weird better than you attitude and and to your point Alice coming in as a new viewer on that episode i would not know how to relate especially because it seems like there's such a an a homogenous nature to the classroom itself they seem to be such a, a, a unit in terms of what they're doing. Yeah, and And absolutely. just to have an outsider really kind of sets that. Any other episode without this extra th- person, without this antagonist, right. has such a different tone to it and has so much more joy and excitement than this first episode, which is very unclearly defined as Janet is this obnoxious, um instigator but also if you look she's also one of the only ones other than uh dorothy ann giving real science right facts yeah like she's the she's doing more teaching than miss frizzle but that's not unusual yeah but <laughs> or but anybody else teachers so that don't weird teach thing of i don't like you but you also are giving me the in- the information I need and I'm supposed to get. And so I don't know as an audience member why I care anymore. Right, right. Because the fun of science is being ruined by this bitch. <laughs> and I just am like, I don't want you here. You do not belong. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. I do want to say in terms of design choice that we have for the school bus, because really, the school bus, the magic school bus, is a character in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It's extremely important. I know that we have, and on every single episode of Saturday Morning Cartoons, at some point we always reference the cartoon and the, the movie, 
Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I, I just wanted to say, did anybody notice any parallels between the eyes of and the mouth of the school bus and Benny the Cab from Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I mean, that's kind of unfair, Sean. Is it? Yeah, yeah. because I feel like when you animate, like you could have related it to Herbie. But anytime you animate a car or an automobile, the headlights are usually going to be the eyes and the, the grill grills is usually going to be the mouth. Yeah. I, there was just there was something very nostalgic for me looking at that design and and Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out in '88 and this obviously came out then in '94 and so I felt uh, you know I, I'd have to go back and check and see when the actual book I don't want to make this a, a chicken and the egg situation um, but I think I, you're trying to make it a chicken and the egg situation I'm not I just saying I'm trying to ruffle some feathers I enjoyed the fact that the Magic School Bus looked a lot like Benny from Who Framed Roger Rabbit for me there was an instant moment where whenever you'd see the magic school bus just sort of have a breakdown or just get frustrated with people, it, it reminded me of kind of like the sad times when Benny in the in the movie would just kind of get upset or be depressed or get angry at people. I just thought that was really funny. I loved the amount of personality that you could tell in the magic school buses, just eyes alone. Absolutely. Fair. I mean, one of the great storytelling devices is the vehicle that you're in that is transporting you from place to place has a mind of its own right. and gets to dictate where and when you stop and and for what reason and when the story begins again. So to say we're going to stay on this planet because the bus is tired means that we now have a reason why we're stuck here. And now, right. so this is the obstacle we have to get around and it's because this bus, this character has made a decision for the rest of the class. Right. Mm -hmm. Everyone else now is impacted. Impacted by it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. I will say on a side note, we can talk about the rules of magic. Okay. In in this world, I have firmly decided that Miss Frizzle is a time lord. <laughs> I love it. And that the bus is her TARDIS. And oh you can God. fight me on this, but I have backup evidence. And I, <laughs> I, I, I I'm telling you, I've nailed it. I that is exactly what this is. There's no way to disagree with that. Moves through time, mm -hmm. space, mm -hmm. most likely bigger on the inside. Can go anywhere, can get smaller. Um, she herself not only has magic, but the magic infects, infects everybody that's been inside the bus. Mm -hmm. So there are definitely times throughout where the magic is happening with the children. Even and then and it's not even part of Miss Frizzle's magic. So they're making cards that suddenly move, mm. or um, things are happening around them that is clearly not based on any actual physics or mm. laws of science, but is clearly magic. And but they're not controlling it; it's happening to them. And it's I've decided it's a transient quality through their visiting and being on the school on the school bus, aka the TARDIS. I love it. You bring up you bring up a great point, and I think you do a great job to kind of segue us into our discussion about the episode itself tonight. And so we're obviously not going to go beat by beat for any of these episodes. It's going to take us way too long. We're going to get into this in terms of some questions that I have for everyone about tonight's episode. Ellis, you kind of helped us in terms of understanding sort of magic and the baseline of you know uh, the time lord that Miss Frizzle actually uh, is. And so I want to know what were what were some of your favorite moments from either of these episodes that we watched tonight? I mean, one of the things I want to say is like the the space episode. I mean, both these episodes just happen so fast. Mm -hmm. Yes, just it's 
from beginning to end, they are moving through so much plot and so many scenes that it almost feels like a blur. I mean, I can pick out like very specific moments, but I have to actually, I had to stop the episode several times and go back Mm. because it just felt like one thing immediately launched into the next and I barely had time to grasp what was happening, let alone where we now are. Um, As far as like the space episode, it was, I have to say Arnold is like, this is Arnold's episode. Right. He has the <laughs> character arc of the century. Yeah. I mean, he goes from, I don't want to be here, to my cousin is insulting my teacher, so now we have to go on an extraordinary field trip. Like, he storms up to the t- stop of the bus, the front of the bus, and goes, but Miss Frizzle, like, what's our bigger adventure here? Right. And forces, air quotes, forces her hand to make them go to space, which is exactly where he doesn't want to go and doesn't feel safe because Janet pushed him to do it. Right. And then the very, very dramatic, spoiler, suicide attempt at the very end of the episode was quite dramatic and unexpected. Yeah. Um, You want to get into that moment? Should we get into that moment? Yeah, let's jump into it. (sighs) Okay, so... They're on Pluto, which, side note, has been called a planet this whole episode, and that made my heart cry. Oh, my God. Um, At every moment of it. I had to go look it up. I had to go be like, so what the fuck's going on with Pluto? It's still a dwarf Dwarf planet? planet? Because there was a middle, there was like a blip of a moment where they were like, no, just kidding, it's now a planet again. No, just kidding, And they definitely dated it by being like, and it's currently inside of Neptune's orbit, which I also remember distinctly. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but right. keep going. Okay, so they're on Pluto. But it doesn't because they're all in a linear line. <sighs> One after another, like dominoes. <laughs> Clearly, that's how space works. So they're finally on Pluto because they've made it through all nine planets right. and a trip around the sun. It's been a very busy day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Janet doesn't want to leave because the bus is broken down with all of her evidence of all of her collected rocks and space dust from every planet that they visited thus far. Uh, very scientifically contained in a jar with a cork stopper. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Janet won't leave because the bus is too heavy with all this stuff. They can't leave and Janet won't go without the stuff. And Arnold, in a fit of bravery, bravado, says that he can't go home without Janet, and if Janet won't go home, he'll basically become her evidence, and he flips open his visor, he takes off his hat, space cap, give me the name for that. The little fishbowl that they're all wearing? Yes, that's it, the fishbowl with the uh, vacuum cleaner hose attached, and he immediately freezes, which I thought of all of the possible effects to being exposed to outer space like that. Yeah. That was probably the most kid-friendly version. Uh. <laughs> also, I'm pretty sure that was referencing something. He immediately became like a Japanese anime character mm. with like button eyes. It was Transformer-esque. I don't know. It immediately <laughs> like became something that I feel like I should have recognized and I just don't have. Yeah, I, don't hmm. know. I don't have the uh, deep encyclopedic knowledge to... He 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 actually he looked a little bit like a character from the CGI cartoon reboot. 
He looked like oh. and he looked like Enzo, the young kid from it. The way that he kind of like glossed over. That's a deep dig. I don't know that many people are gonna get that reference. I want friends of the cartoon to of the podcast and the cartoon to write in and <laughs> find me that unintentional reference. I want to know what that reference is too. So he basically commits suicide yeah. to force his cousin's hand, <sighs> and they get him back onto the bus to save him. And luckily, because we're in Miss Frizzle's world, the only consequence is he gets a cold. Yep. So beautiful. Not even like a cold. Like he just gets the sniffles. Like sniffles. Yeah. Uh, he's got a cold. Did you see the end of his nose? Yeah, yeah. It was all red. It was a little red. red. He's sick. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But a nice directing move. It was the pile of tissues that they zoomed in first and then up to his face. Right. Mm -hmm. Which was very dramatic. (laughs) Yes. I loved it. (laughs) Melanie, any particular moments from these episodes that you enjoyed as well? So... Lots of things I enjoyed about um, the the going inside Ralphie's body oh. episode. Oh. So there's a few things this I'm gonna a hit. little harder than I remembered it. It so the here's the thing that hits harder than I thought it was going to is um, spoiler alert. I was an overachieving child <laughs> who was trying to live up to an impossible expectation because I went to a school with a bunch of. Uh, very academically successful people. Shout out to J.P. Stevens High School in Edison, New Jersey. And what I, what, what Ralphie was experiencing when he woke up and he's like, listen, it is broadcast day. I have to have an idea for this thing and we got to do all of this stuff and I got to have this idea and he's sick. So in high school, I was in the middle of a show. We were, I was doing a bunch of things. I was at a bunch of clubs and I got mono and there was nothing for me to do about it. I was like in some of the best classes I could have ever imagined and I was fucking devastated. So just opening up to like him being really overachieving and like wanting to do all and having all these ideas and wanting to do all this stuff, but like his body holding him back, like, and him, the journey that Ralphie takes through the episode of like, he's actually understanding that the body is not holding him back. The body is working for him against the germs that are attacking him. That's a concept that even today when I get sick as a goddamn adult in the working world, Sean knows I get devastated when I'm sick. It's a true story. And it's it's like I blame my body. I blame the things that I've done to lead me to this place. And I was very emotionally rocked by that opening with Ralphie. And I didn't expect it to be that way at all. Um, oh, see, I called BS on that. I was like, clearly he's sick because he actually hasn't done the assignment. Oh. oh. I, am, I just thought it I was... I mean, that's not because... Everybody loves Miss Frizzle, and why wouldn't you do the assignment? Sure. Unless you go to the rot, rot, the rotted log episode, but that's neither here nor there. Back to this one. So it does make sense, but it just felt a little bit like, did he get sick because he because he didn't have an idea and he worked himself up into such a frenzy? Mm. I, I had a question of like intention. Okay, that's mm. fair. Mm. That's fair. Also. I want to, we can, we need to put a pin and talk about the household that Ralphie lives in. Okay. And this questionable grandpa okay. that's Thank quote you. Thank downstairs, you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but suddenly has a sick grandchild upstairs and then just is like, hey, class of eight kids, sure, go to my grandchild's sick room. You're fine. Go on up and then bother him. 
who is this? Why why mention it? Like, why add this unseen element of unnecessary, not really their parental supervision? You bring me to a good point, Ellis, which is what were some things that were frustrating to you in this episode? And the grandfather thing was definitely frustrating to me because, you know, suddenly you have this sick kid with a fever and then you have an irresponsible teacher who is saying, let's go and talk to the kid who has 101 temperature because it's not like we haven't seen problems with bringing uh, a sick kid into a school and then infecting everybody else that's there. Uh, you know, th- we, we, we never have problems with that at well, all. because Miss Frizzle's a time lord. Well, okay. She doesn't give a shit about germs. Well, fair enough. But for the people who didn't think that she was a time lord, there's a part of it that's a little bit frustrating and irresponsible to all of a sudden have a teacher be like, let's expose these other kids so that they can get sick. But the more you look at it from an adult perspective... Miss Frizzle's the most irresponsible teacher. Oh yeah, ever. There was even in the the Lost in Space episode, the moment that they show up to the planetarium and there's a lock on it, and she's like, "Well, I guess that's it." And I almost just wish there was a blackout, and I was just like, "Well, look how responsible everybody was." You know, end of story. Everybody gets to go home. Everybody probably has homework. There it is. Like no worries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'll say this. Some of the problems that I had with this episode came from the inside Ralphie. And if I have to hear the word broadcast day one more time, (laughs) they said broadcast day. Frizzle News Network. Dozens and Frizzle News Network dozens of times, especially within the first five minutes of the episode, people were running around. Even Ralphie, the first three things that he said were, I have to come up with an idea for broadcast day. Oh no, I'm going to miss broadcast day. How's everybody going to get along without me with broadcast day? And I was like, say broadcast day one more time, motherfucker. Just say, and then two seconds later, he does a whole barrage of more people saying it. I, for me, I got a little bit frustrated because it sounded like some of the dialogue was really clunky and it was very challenging because that was the first episode that we watched. I may or may not have really had context in terms of the Magic School Bus, so kind of coming into some of this very clunky, repetitive dialogue for me, big turnoff right out the mm-hmm. gate. But the I grandpa. Did not, I did the not. The grandpa. The grandpa. But I did not, rem- I mean, shows you how sophisticated eight-year-old Ellis was. It None of the clunkiness, none of the huge plot holes, none of the problematic storytelling made a dent in my love of the show, or at least the way that I remembered loving the show. Right. So coming back to it as an adult and just tearing my hair out over setups that had no follow through. (laughs) (laughs) Like the Deus Ex Machina of just every episode of just, we don't know, we have to get through this episode there is no real ending. We're just going to come up with something and end it. The We're going to repeat some information 16,000 times. Yep. And then really in-depth scientific ideas, we're just going to state once and glaze right by. Mm-hmm. It was just a weird emphasis on the wrong places hmm. that just drove me, drove me nuts. That's so interesting because I feel like the one thing I took away from this is that I don't know, I don't know how many facts I learned through, you know, as a child and also now, 
But what I do think the show does a great job of is it like cultivates this curiosity and like kind of like astoundment is the only way I can think about it in in science and the modern world that nothing else does. So even while we were watching the Lost in Space episode, which I really chose not to talk about because it like I loved it so much is is like I was we were watching this episode with yes all the planets so conveniently lined up in like a trajectory and I thought to myself like how fucking insane is the idea that we are the only planet in the solar system that is like viable to cultivate life there are nine planets in the solar system and we're the only planet that is viable. That's insane. And like little Melanie inside was like, holy shit, that's so crazy. And just the fact that we rewatched the episode and that was my response to it. I was like, good job, show. You did exactly what you were supposed to do, which is just like make me more interested to go read more about Pluto, which I definitely did when the show was over. Like I Wikipedia did and I was looking it up or like just like having this fondness for like Again, those Hayden Planetarium shows that I used to watch with my mom when when I was little, um, or like I think there was. I keep hearing you say Hayden Panettiere. Hayden Panettiere. Uh, great, yeah. great actors. No, I, I mean, I I understand it's two very different ways of being excited by knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, for you to get teased by an idea and then have the self fortitude, the Wikipedia, let's be honest, this is Wikipedia. Oh my God, stop it. But the, the drive the, to do that, right? right? Like, even, but as small Melanie, child baby Melanie, was like, I want to learn more and I am going to go to my library or go to my bookshelf and learn more. I had Encyclopedia Britannica as a child. I did, and I had to look shit up. I was forced to, my mom made me. I did as well, it was. We're learning a lot about Melanie tonight. <laughs> we are. <laughs> To me, there is the other side of the excitement is a deep dive. Mm-hmm. So don't show me nine planets. Show me one planet and go real deep. Real deep. So it, it's the difference of, you know, uh, you know, what is it like a, a jack of all trades, master of nothing, uh, you know, inch deep, mile wide. Like you're, you're looking for something that's more substantial regarding so what you're looking at. Of the at. two episodes, the right. Inside Ralphie one, which was, we are going to look at how the body fights uh, infection and right. bacteria. And we are only going to look at that mechanism and that anatomical process. Mm-hmm. That I liked. That I got. I was like, okay, there are white blood cells, there are red blood cells, there are antibodies. This is how that works. And I got to see the process. And then we were out. Right. There wasn't a, we're going to go through the whole immune system and the digestive system and now we're going uh, like it was we moved magically from the throat up into the nose through one membrane and we were out like a sneeze and we were done right and so for that episode at least i thought the storytelling was small enough to actually explore some ideas Mm -hmm. versus the space episode that was so broad and so quick that it felt that I couldn't get a hold of anything because every time we stopped at a place, it was gone before I could fully invest. Mm. Right. Okay. Okay. It was also really weird, but vaccinate people. 
If there was a lesson and a parable to that episode, they are clearly for vaccination. The space episode, right? Obviously, make sure that you space vaccinate your kids. Kids. Oh, boy. No. Uh, So this this brings us to a really good question that I, I have is, does the 90s cartoon, does the 90s cartoon, The Magic School Bus, does it hold up to your memory? Does it hold up to particularly how your memory you know, perceived this, was this something that as you watched it again as an adult, did it live up to, to your expectations, Ellis? I'm super conflicted. In the course of this evening, I have kind of been bouncing back and forth from like abject hatred to, I see what they were doing there and I respect that and I give it props and like where they succeeded, they really succeeded and then where they failed, Oh, good God, did they fail just masterfully. And so I would almost say if you have really heartfelt memories of this show, if this was a show that you loved as a child, don't go back. Just let it be that show for you. Mm. If you were neither here nor there about it, it might be an interesting look, go back and look, see. You have to give yourself more than two episodes. You have to give yourself a season because it only gets better when you're watching it with enough time that the clunkiness fades away and that the really good stuff, which I consider to be the characters and the relationship between the characters and that the way each of these children actually is a greater representation of different types of learning mm-hmm. and have different perspectives on how they look at and take in knowledge. There's a brilliance there that, gets to, that you get to start to dissect and be a part of, but you have to give that more time than just two episodes. Oh, this is so challenging because I've been on the same spectrum that you've been on the entire night, Ellis, of just going back from like, I don't like this show to, okay, I... I understand the intent and I, I can appreciate it for what it is. And I think it's important. And then I'm back to like, what the fuck would you talk about the grandfather for? Like, who cares? Why is that it, part of this and it's thing? Like, but it's like niche, like minutia that I'm just like obsessed with sometimes that I'm, it just, it makes it hard for me to sit there as an adult and watch it and be like, why did you say broadcast day 15 times in the first five minutes? Like I, it, it annoyed me, you know, but then at the same time, like to your point of just, Everybody learns differently and it gives you that exposure. And for little baby Melanie, it, it piqued curiosity for her to open up an Encyclopedia Britannica. And so these little are, baby I mean, like, Melanie. <laughs> we've been talking for an hour, maybe an hour and a half. We have yet to talk about the fact that Miss Frizzle is voiced by Lily Tomlin. Right. Yeah. Like fuck. this was not a slapdash effort. This was scholastic getting together with PBS and going, this is our star educational book series about science, and we're going to throw our best media at creating new educational television, and we're going to do it with intent. Mm -hmm. And so what drove me crazy was how clearly clunky certain elements were that I don't think would, would have happened today because I feel like children's television is savvy mm-hmm. and smarter in the way that it creates content. 
But I also know that the reason that we're better today is because we're standing on exactly. shows like the Magic School Bus that created and paved the way for those shows that we actually appreciate for their artistry and talent now. I, I almost want to bring up uh, a quote that came from the Inside Ralphie episode that I really, um, it, the second time I watched the episode, it resonated with me. The first time I thought it was kind of a toss away line. I, I heard it and I liked it. But then the second time it really kind of it hit for me. And I almost feel that it's the motto of this show itself. And, and, Miss, and the Frizz says this and it's just, it's simple. It's four words. Take chances, make mistakes. Get messy. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's her catchphrase. She says it in every episode. It yeah. is the show's yeah. take on how you should approach learning. And like it it, it definitely hits and it, it definitely makes me understand sort of the, the point of view and the perspective of this character, of this teaching. Like it's you you gotta like you're gonna make mistakes. And I think that that's the hardest, you know, thing for kids to to understand when they're, you know, when they're learning, when they're they're watching cartoons, when they're trying to create something, when they're doing something when they're young, is that just because you failed or you make a mistake at something doesn't mean you're a failure. Doesn't mean that that mistake is going to be the thing that ends your creative path or whatever you're doing. You know, just because you have one bad, you know, like a game, we have one bad football game or basketball game, doesn't mean that you're never going to make it to the NBA. You know, people fail and lose games all the time. People fail and lose creative endeavors all the time. It doesn't mean that they just, you know, say, well, I guess this isn't for me and I give up. Like that, res- that makes you more resilient. That gives you that additional perspective. That makes you want something above and beyond. You know, to Mel's point about, you know, being an overachiever, that's that thing that makes you want to go ahead and put in the time to do that extra credit. I think that that's ultimately what makes that learning worthwhile for you in the end is to have those mistakes, understand, learn from them in a similar way that we're saying that cartoons and educational entertainment now is standing on the shoulders of shows like The Magic School Bus. You know, We need to have those things in order to move forward, in order to, to look for bigger, better, greater things. And that's crazy. I mean, honest, I have to say, as a show that treated girls and boys equally in their pursuit of science. Yeah. Damn. You have to give this show credit for going. There's nothing to be scared of, and everybody approaches topics differently, and everybody learns differently, and that you just have to find what works for you, but you are no better or less than anybody else. And there are going to be topics that are more exciting for you than there are for other people. And if those are your topics, go forth and find them and pursue them. Yeah. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Right. I want to come up with one final question uh, that we have for this evening. One final question is that, you know, we, we've talked a lot about this in terms of its educational content as well as also the, the animation, the, the story, the, the class, the relationships that we really kind of have here. And so I, I want to ask the question, you know, do you feel that there is a place for educational entertainment today? knowing full well that educational entertainment is what ultimately killed the idea of Saturday morning cartoons in general. Well, that's a lot to lay at its feet. It's a lot to lay at its feet. Only for science. Only for science? Yes. I strongly believe that 
there's a lot to be said for the intersection of of like art and science and therefore potentially like entertainment and science. And so I think it's the best way to teach that kind of field. But for like anything else, and I'll go as far to say like even like School of Rock shit where they're trying to teach you grammar, like I don't really care that much about that, but definitely like the way I want to consume my science is through. You mean Schoolhouse Rock? Schoolhouse Rock. What did I say? School of Rock. You know what I meant. Yeah. I thought it was the Jack Black movie. Not the Jack Black movie. <laughs> I thought it was the after school program that the movie is based on. No. Both. Both not true. School House Rock. I, I, you know, I don't need it. I don't need that to teach me sentence grammar. Like I, I wanted to teach me science. I want to say I definitely think that it's important that however you are consuming that media, that that science, that lesson, that particular insight, you know, regardless of the the medium, the method, I think it's always important. So I, I definitely agree with you. I think what cartoons like to do. Well, see, now I don't know. What I like about cartoons is how accessible it is, how it's a world that you can see yourself a part of in a way that live action is just too real. And so it's almost alienating because if you were a part of it, you would have been a part of it. Whereas a cartoon, you, ha- you can be a part of it because it's, there, there's no what reality base involved. So to allow for an animated series to draw these other worlds, to go deeply into these places and tell stories that's not super realistic. We're not talking CGI. We're not going in there um, in a like med school learning video. I mean, this is made for eight-year-olds and it's charming. I wish it was better executed. So yes, there is a future, I feel, for educated cartoons or educational cartoons they just got to be good from beginning to end in execution in all areas. And it seems like from what you had mentioned earlier is just sort of also scope of the storytelling too. You know, don't go too broad where you kind of miss all the individual lessons and and particulars, you know, uh, make a a whole season dedicated to the different planets. You know, Uh, I think that's really interesting. I, it's challenging. I, I think that there is a place for educational entertainment there, there's definitely a part of me that I don't understand why educational entertainment and regular Saturday morning cartoons can't exist in the same space because what I would love to see is that for educational entertainment cartoons, why can't we use that to sell toys? It might not be toys in the traditional sense. It might be more STEM or STEAM-related toys uh, that you have for children. Sure. You know? But I feel like there were a lot in the 90s, um, these sort of, the sort of like resurgence, not resurgence because it wasn't coming back from, but it was like this um, influx of educational video games, like computer, PC-based, like educational or, or even online, like games and things like that. Like that was huge and sold a lot of money. At least right. I, I, I mean, I don't know the numbers on the market or anything, but like there was a lot of that. 
Um, I think if there had been like a magic school bus, there were like rocks kit. I would have fucking bought that. Were there other? There 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 was there was a magic school bus uh computer game. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how good it was. Maybe. Did Did you play it? Did I play this game? I gotta look it up. Look it up. (laughs) Gotta go to my my pal Wikipedia. No. I just don't understand why the stories that we tell in non-educational cartoons that are exciting and vibrant and have all this action. I feel like the Magic School Bus laid a groundwork to show that real-life storytelling can be just as exciting and just as vibrant. Mm. And it just... And that there really maybe shouldn't need to be a difference between educational cartoons and regular cartoons. Right. Because there is a world of war, of bacteria happening inside your body, and crazy things are happening inside a rotting log, and bugs are eating each other, and for bug kids, that's super awesome, and that's something that's happening in your backyard. Right. That's not something that, you know, you have to go off to an alien planet to experience. And it's funny how just about almost every instance of what you mentioned has had a, a big screen adaptation. You know, we we had a movie about fighting things inside of your body. We had that uh, animated movie, Osmosis Jones. Oh my God. You know, we, mm, you're, wow. you're talking about insects. We had A Bug's Life. We had Ants with a Z. We had Bee Movie, which, you know, for better or for worse. Well, Bee Movie's problem was it got too educational, <laughs> a little too diatribe Yeah, well... Definitely wanted to see what it was like when a woman and a bee entered into a romantic relationship. Mission accomplished, gang. Yeah, jeez. So no, I I think that you know there's there's definitely a place. I wish that it was a world that they could kind of you know uh, live in the same space at the same time, so that kids could have exposure to both. But again, you know, uh, when all of Saturday morning cartoons went away in the the 2014 timeframe. You know, we we have a lot of cartoons that are immediately accessible right now uh, that are consumable, that are, are, you know, taking a lot of different avenues in terms of the actual demographics that they're appealing to. And so for people like me, I have the opportunity to see cartoons that are being written directly for me as a consumer to take in and enjoy. And I, I love that. I love that there can be thought provoking cartoons that can explore nuances of relationships as well as also, you know, interpersonal dynamics that you have that you know you would never see in a Saturday morning cartoon. So again, it goes back to the point of we've got I don't this- know. I would be really interested for Saturday morning listeners who have young children to to give us feedback on what their kids are really watching as far as their cartoons and how those cartoons are incorporating lessons or learning right. that I don't spend time watching. Because that I'm no longer that demographic, and, nor do I have anybody in my household who is that demographic. And I will say, whenever we but ask like, people, as far on, as I know, Dora the Explorer also teaches Spanish, right? You know, and I'm sure there are a plethora of other examples. I mean, I know from some of our listeners that you know, usually on Saturday mornings, when I put out the question on social media, "Hey, it's Saturday morning. What are you watching? Let me know." Uh, I usually throw what I'm watching as well out there for for people to say, hey, I, I like it or I've never heard of that. Uh, but it's always great to see people who do have young kids that are saying, like, I'm exposing my children to uh, generation one of Transformers for the first time right now, you know, and they're, they're younger kids, you know, or they might be saying, like, we're watching these things that are on Netflix 
that are for uh, a younger audience. And I, I'm, but I'm still having this opportunity to kind of watch cartoons with them. And because it's something that they enjoyed when they were a kid, they understand the importance of being able to have that experience in general. And so they're sharing those cartoons, regardless of whether it's, you know, a binge-worthy Netflix show or something that is actually educational entertainment. They're just having that experience. And so I think that that itself is, uh, I think that's awesome. I, I love to hear people when they, whenever they message in and say like, hey, I'm watching these things. And I, I, I Google if I don't understand the cartoon or if I've never heard of it before. And then I find out that it is a kid's cartoon. And they're just like, yeah, watching it with my son and my daughter. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's that's great that, you know, you're taking an investment in that. Because, I mean, I know growing up, like, my parents, my dad every once in a while watched cartoons with me, uh, like Nickelodeon cartoons on Sunday mornings. But, you know, I mean, I think that was Saturday really. Saturday mornings was parent-free mornings. Like, yeah. my brother and I made cereal because it didn't require any kind of heat source or anything <laughs> of, like, danger. <laughs> because we once tried to microwave a can of pineapple juice what? and we we literally melted the microwave but that's, other that's than that better, that's saturday, better than my bad idea that i had which other is, than that one saturday saturday morning was about cereal yeah. and sitting in front of the tv and my parents got to sleep till like 10 o'clock in the morning right. which was made everybody in the house very happy yeah but like saturday morning cartoons are designed to be parent free time for the sake hmm. of the parents and the sake of the kids. And so to have cartoons out there, see, and to get back to the Magic School Bus is not one of these things. The Magic School Bus is not made for multiple age viewing audiences. Hmm. So if you're watching the Magic School Bus with your kids, you're doing it for your kids. Right. Animaniacs. You're doing that for you. Yeah, I mean you, and but your but your kids are getting it too. Like it's multiple levels of enjoyment. There's different thresholds one can enter at different ages. Right. There are more sophisticated cartoons you can be watching. Bob's Burgers. Right. Love. Bob's you're gonna Burgers. get it on a very different level if you're a parent right. than if you are as a kid. But you're both gonna enjoy that show. Right. Mostly because it's just a really well done show. Yeah. And you can't knock quality. Right. No, that's a great, that's a great comment. To, you really can't knock quality. And so, you know, even if it's a weird concept and an idea, you know, if it's a quality show that's out there, people are going to watch it, you know. Mm. Man, we have devolved away from the magic school bus into just talking about Saturday morning cartoons in general, which I love. But we are going to get to our reviews in a moment because right now we're going to turn this over to yeah you you out there right now you listening you have opinions and you put them on the internet for people to read and man are they crazy sometimes but we are going to honor that craziness and we're going to talk about it in our segment love it or hate it so we're going to turn this over to now longtime listener and friend of the show bobby anthem for this week's love it or hate it bobby take it away this week's love it is titled Foundational from my childhood by, I don't know, QASDFGHJ15. The hell, man. I don't know. Written by Random Letters 15 in April 2012. Alphabet Soup 15 said, Despite only seeing a few episodes as kid, mostly reruns, they impacted my vision of school and science growing up in profound ways. 
They taught me that science is action-packed and exciting. One of the my favorite episodes is when Ralphie gets sick and they go into his bloodstream to see the war against the germs ensue. Even though these days I question germ theory, these visualizations were foundational to my understanding of various other processes I could not see. While learning, I would go into a magic school bus into my head and play them out in my imagination. Shows like this and a few excellent science teachers led me to college at MIT and pursuing a degree in science. I wish they brought this show back or made others like it. Excellent show. 10 out of 10. And our hated is titled, Watching Paint Dry Would Have Been More Fun, by Big Ben 526 in June 2004. Big Ben wrote, This show sucked. Miss Frizzle was annoying and all the kids would do is moan, bitch, and complain about everything. I don't know about you, but I can't stand teachers that sing, dress like it's still the 70s, and like popping out of volcanoes and shit. It was amazing to me that no lives were lost during any of their adventures, for it would have made the show that much more exciting. And speaking for the sake of education, I'd say that you'd actually enjoy watching Discovery Kids than watching any of this drivel. Much of the little educational value there was barely scratched the surface of the topic at hand. Thank goodness this show has finally been canceled. No rating given. Man, that was definitely a hate it. Great read by Bobby. <laughs> Great, Great read by Bobby always. Thank you. That always is very important. Bobby is the cornerstone of this show. He is. He is. So, I've been waiting all episode just to hear him. <laughs> That's why I came. <laughs> uh, well, you're in luck because Bobby's the best. So, uh, yeah, brutal, brutal hate it. I'm a little bit surprised because I mean, I feel we like we didn't even talk about the producer segment at the end, and I'm okay if we don't. I know, but I have feelings. I know, I okay. know. I just, you know, again, I felt like the love it or the hate it really kind of went the spectrum that I think that some of us have gone through tonight of just saying. These kids are a real pain in the ass and, and there's particular things and then, but I also understand what they're trying to do. And so, oh, there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpack for the magic school bus. I will say on, on the most, I'm happy that it's there. Okay. Well, Ellis, we're going to go to you first. You can of course recommend a show and you can tell us why you recommend the magic school bus, or you can simply say, I don't recommend it. And you can give us a reason if you don't recommend it, you can go one step further and you can give this the Roger Rabbit style dip, which erases it from the annals of cartoon history and we will never talk about it on this show again. No. Well, I definitely am not dipping it. Okay. I feel, I mean, I feel, I've said this, the show holds a very special place in my heart. It continues to hold a very special place in my heart. Right. I wish I hadn't done this deep dive so that it never <laughs> ruined the very special place that it held in my heart. So fuck you, Sean. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. So is this is this a recommendation that I'm hearing, or are you not recommending it? I recommend it if you're going to give it the time that it deserves. Okay. This is a sit down when you really don't need to think. 
and you want to play games on your cell phone and just enjoy it as is. Don't overthink it. Just have fun. If there's a specific episode that's on a topic that you particularly enjoy, I'd skip it and go for something else so that, you know. Oh, my God. It doesn't it doesn't uh, ping that topic for you. Oh. But I, I would I would watch it. I mean, since watching the two episodes we were supposed to watch, I continued to watch the first episode or the first season. And then I moved actually to the third season to see kind of what time and development did. And I still enjoyed it. And okay. I still really wanted the next wanted to see the next episode once the last one finished. So yeah, okay. I'd recommend it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Ellis. Melanie. Yes. Recommend or not recommend? Yes. She said it better than I did. Good chat. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend this show. Okay. Anything else you want to add? No. Great. Uh <laughs> For myself, it's going to be three for three in terms of recommendations. I, I'm really, I feel like I'm very hard fought on this one. And I, I know that we keep talking about going back and forth, but I really think for me, the the line Ellis that sold me on this is just the idea that everybody learns differently. And, you know, it, it takes a variety of different input and stimuli and understanding uh, to really begin to process and kind of understand some of these complicated topics. And Melanie's point also sold me on the idea of if this is something that you watched and it piqued your interest to go learn more, then it's it's important. It's a necessity. I think that, you know, as we've talked about tonight, that, you know, educational cartoons have a place and there is a particular reason to have them, to to appeal to the curiosity and the nature of children and young viewers who are are learning about some of these larger complicated concepts and ideas that we have that are a part of science and technology and, and the arts. You know, even if you watch this and you are sitting there like I used to do and you have a clipboard in front of you and you're drawing the cartoons that you're watching, that's still a part of learning. That's still a part of processing and, and art that you're, you're creating and you're understanding. And I think that all of these things together are equally important for, for the next generation. And I think that they were important for our generation as we, we grew up watching them to, to really kind of act as that catalyst to, to push us in a particular direction, you know, whether it was to say to Ellis's recent point about, you know, maybe not go into that episode, maybe skip it. Uh, but that, that's good. I mean, that, that's good to know it. And it, you know, that, that, that could potentially be something that you don't need to explore anymore. And it, it's interesting to see that things that are this iconic can be frustrating as well as also very rewarding at the same time. And that duality enough and the conversation that we've had tonight, that definitely makes me recommend the cartoon. Thank you, Ellis, and thank you, Melanie, for getting on the school bus with me and helping me unpack all of this and understand it a little bit more because this, this has been fantastic. This has been a great time. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Oh my God, you are. Wow. <laughs> Well, thank you both for coming tonight. And I, I wanted to ask, Ellis, what do you have that's coming up in the future? Anything that you'd like to plug? Any place where the people can find you on social media? Sure. Uh, you can find me on the Instagrams. Um, I'm going to upload some pictures tonight so there's more for you to look at uh, for the hundreds, nay, thousands of new followers that I'm going to get having been on this illustrious podcast. Uh, it's 
The handle is Ellis and Gherkin. Gherkin would be my puppy. So it's E-L-L-Y-S-A-N-D-G-H-E-R-K-I-N. Um, that's Ellis and Gherkin. And we will put all of this in the show notes too. Excellent. Yes. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, but I only follow other people. So I think it's my introductory tweet and nothing else. Okay. Uh, so don't do that. It's not worth your time. <laughs> I guess the two things that actually I want to plug so you can skip right over me is there are two small theater companies uh, in town in D.C. that have two fabulous shows happening in May and June. The first one is We Happy Few. Um, we Happy Few's production of Treasure Island. So it's mutiny, pirates, sword fighting, gold doubloons, ukuleles, and rum all wrapped up together in this classic tale of high seas adventure. It runs May 4th through May 6th. It's in multiple locations around D.C., including Republic Restorative's Distillery, so you can drink and see theater at the same time. More information is at wehappyfewdc.com slash treasure island. There's a bunch of D.C. favorites uh, performing in that show, so I highly recommend you check it out. The other is Faction of Fools, the Great Comedia Hotel Murder Mystery. Uh, this company takes on the grand tradition of Agatha Christie, Clue, and Sherlock Holmes in a classic whodunit with laughter, murder, and mayhem as only the fools can provide. It's April 26th through May 19th at Gallaudet University, their Eastman Studio Theater, and you can get more information at factionoffools.org slash murder mystery. Awesome. I want to go to that. That sounds fucking great. I'm going to be at opening night, and so I'll let you know how it is, but I'm betting it's going to be spectacular. That sounds really fun. Very cool. Thank you, Alice. Melanie, anything that you would like to plug, any place that the people can find you on social media? You can find me on the social media at Melanie Gwynn. That's Welsh, G-W-Y-N-N-E. Love you, love you, Trembor. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you know this, Sean, but my husband and I <laughs> are involved in a show with Awkward. a friend of the show, Charlie Visconage. He's doing a show called Funland. Uh, it is one night only. It's May 18th from 7 to 11 at Hole in the Sky Collective. And it should be a really fun time. No pun intended except all the puns intended. Uh, so if you want more information on Funland, you should go to visconage.com slash Funland, where you can hear more about that, understand why Sean and I would be involved in such a caper with Charlie, and, you know, see some visual inspiration. So go ahead and check it out, because it's one night only. Yes, absolutely. It's a pop-up for satirical take on the arts, so it should be very fun. Mm-hmm. Well, you heard him on this episode, our friend Bobby Anthem. You can find him on Twitter at Bobby Anthem. Send him a message. Show him some love. He is simply the best. As for me, I perform live improv comedy with a group that's called Knox. That's N-O-X exclamation point. We perform with Washington Improv Theater. You can find tickets and times with DC.org. And you can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Paul Ellis. Hey, want to reach out and support this show? Yeah, this show that you just listened to. Hey, just tell a friend, review us on Apple iTunes. It's all much appreciated. You can slide into our DMs on Twitter at Morning Tunes. Remember, that's morning with a U. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Saturday Morning Cartoons. Drop us an old-fashioned time email, SaturdayMorningCartoons at gmail.com. You can find all these links to everything in 
all of our social media bios under our link tree. And you can always listen to us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are sold or given away free like this episode that you're listening to. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be back in May uh, for our second episode where we are going to be going back to watching some very weird cartoons. Uh, if you were to ever think, hey, I really want an anthropomorphic version of a Rubik's Cube, get ready. And can we go out tonight for this episode with sort of the beep beep Mel from the intro of the episode? Beep beep. Perfect. Thank you, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Hey, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.